Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather here together. We thank you for what has taken place here. Uh, Father, we're excited about your work. We're excited about uh, reaching to those that don't know you. But Father, we're excited because we know that Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. And Father, we want to be ready. And as we open your word now, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to be with us and guide us in our study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to begin this afternoon uh, pretty much where I am going to end. And I would like to begin by reading a statement that we do find in the book Great Controversy, and that is found in page 582. Great Controversy, page 582, the chapter entitled The Impending Conflict. And here she writes, from the very beginning of the great controversy in heaven, it has been Satan's purpose to overthrow the law of God. So we know that from the very beginning, Satan has wanted to overthrow what? The law of God. It was to accomplish this that he entered upon his rebellion against the Creator. And though he was cast out of heaven, he has continued the same warfare upon the earth to deceive men and thus lead them to transgress God's law is the object which he has steadfastly pursued. So therefore today, all the violence, all the immorality, all the destruction is Satan bent on destroying the law of God and trying to cause others to disregard the law of God. She goes on. Whether this be accomplished by casting aside the law altogether or by rejecting one of its precepts, the result will be ultimately the same. And then she says, In seeking to cast contempt upon the divine statutes, Satan has perverted the doctrines of the Bible and errors have thus become incorporated into the faith of thousands who profess to believe the Scriptures. And now comes the main part. The last great conflict. Which conflict? The last great conflict between truth and error is but the final struggle of the long-standing controversy concerning the law of God. Upon this battle, and again, this battle is a last great conflict. Upon this battle, we are now entering a battle between the laws of men and the precepts of Jehovah, between the religion of the Bible and the religion of fables and tradition. So this last battle concerning the law of God, we're about to enter it. And I would like for us to go to a very, very familiar passage for us this morning, this afternoon. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And I would like for us to go to verse 17. Revelation 12 verse 17, and when you're there, please let me hear you say amen. amen. The Bible says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make what? 
war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now question, has there ever been a time since the days of Adam, has there ever been a time in which the dragon has not been at war with God's church? No. From the very beginning, Satan has always been at war with God's church. So then what's the point of John here saying, and the dragon was wrought with the woman and went to make war if he's always been at war? What's the point? So, so let me ask you a question. This war of chapter 12 or 17, this war, has this war begun already? No. This war has not begun. And what I like to do right now, my friends, is go for some, it might be review, but you're going to see why we're going to do this in just a minute. I would like for us to do a quick run-through of chapter 12 of Revelation. And we're going to find out exactly why it is the two-minute warning. Verse 1 of Revelation. Now this we know. Verse 1 says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now question, this we know. Who is the woman? The church. Very good. Verse 2. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now question. We know this is a church. But which church is it talking about? The true church, but in which phase? Say it again. Old Testament. How do we know? Exactly. We know that the child that's going to be born is who? Jesus. So therefore, in verse 1 and verse 2, the woman is pregnant, the child is not born. So here we find the church in the Old Testament phase. So the Old Testament church is right about to give way to the New Testament church. Amen? Amen. Let's go on. Verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, who's the dragon? Satan. Satan. How do we know? Because verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. Stop there. Now, the one third of the stars, of course, are who? angels. Now, using the actual words of the text, what did Satan use to drag down with him a third of the stars of heaven? Now, my friends, does Satan have a tail? Is Satan a guy in red pajamas with a pitchfork and horns poking people? But yet, the word says that he uses tail. What's that talking about? How do we know? Keep your finger there. Let's go to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. And let's go to verse 15. Isaiah 9, verse 15. 
The Bible says, Isaiah 9, verse 13, the ancient and honorable, he is the what? Head. And the prophet that teaches lies, he's the what? So what did Satan use in heaven? Lies. Okay, let's go back to chapter 12 of Revelation. Verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So Satan here, using the Roman Empire and Herod, was standing right by the woman to devour, destroy Jesus as soon as he was born. Now, verse 5, I love verse 5 because the Bible's amazing. I mean, the Word makes big things condensed in such small phrases. Because in verse 5, we have the entire life of Jesus summed up. Verse 5 says, And she brought forth the child, a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The whole life of Jesus in one verse. And so when Satan saw that he could not destroy the child, when he saw that he could not destroy Jesus, and when Satan was defeated at the cross, is Satan an enemy that gives up easily? Mm -mm. He's relentless. He does not give up. He continues and continues and continues. But when he was defeated and he could not destroy the man-child, who did he now go after? The church. Verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And we know this is the 1260-year prophecy, the time period of 538 to 1798. And now John kind of takes us behind the scenes and shows what's going on in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was her place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, question, my friends. This casting out of Satan... When did it take place? Remember now. Satan was cast out twice. And this casting out of Satan did not take place before the foundation of the world. This casting out that John describes here took place at the cross. Now, how do we know? Because when Satan, for, for several reasons, but when Satan is cast out, look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come what? 
when does salvation come? At the cross. And in fact, keep your finger there, and let's go to John 12. John 12. John 12, and let's go to verse 30. John 12, verse 30. The Bible says, John 12, verse 30. Are we there, amen? It says, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be what? Who is the prince of this world? So therefore, at that moment, the prince of this world was not yet cast out. But verse 32 says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So when was the prince of this world cast out? At the cross. Because remember, before the cross, did not Satan, although we don't understand exactly how, but did not Satan still have access to heaven? The story of Job. Okay, and when, and when Satan was in heaven, and, and he was there as, I mean, it's kind of, kind of strange to say this, but in heaven, Satan legally was our representative. God did not kick Satan out when he showed up. He asked him, where are you coming from? But now, praise God, because of Jesus, who is our representative in heaven? Jesus. Amen. Now, so let's go back to Revelation 12. Okay, we're doing a quick rundown here, not spending too much time on a lot of details, but Revelation 12, and let's now go to verse 10. It says, Revelation 12, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuse them before our God day and night. So what does Satan do in heaven? He accused, but now he's cast down. In other words, his accusations have been answered by the cross. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And verse 12 is amazing. Verse 12 says, Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Why should heaven rejoice? What just happened? Satan's been cast out. So therefore, heavens rejoice. But it says, But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. So as each day goes by, and we get closer and closer to the end, Satan's fury, his anger, his wrath intensifies because his time is getting shorter every day. And therefore, we should not be surprised at all the destruction and violence and commotion in this world. It is a lost or, or a defeated enemy that's on a rampage trying to take as many as he can with him. Verse 13. Again, the two-minute warning. When Satan is cast down, verse 13 says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, 
He persecuted who? The woman. the woman which brought forth the man child. So, since the man child, which was Jesus, defeated Satan at the cross, again, Satan is not going to part all of his fury at the woman. Verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And we know that those time, times, and half a time is the same as Daniel 7, the same as the 42 months of Revelation 13, the same as the 12, 60 days of verse 6. The same 538 to 1798 period of papal supremacy in which the papacy ruthlessly persecuted the woman. Amen? You follow me? Amen. Now, watch this. Verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now you know this. Water symbolizes people, multitudes, nations, tongues. So Satan, through the papacy, is sending armies, multitudes, nations to try to destroy the woman, to try to destroy the church, God's true church, in the wilderness. Now question, my friends. Geographically speaking, geographically speaking, where was the woman found during this time? Okay, but where, geographically speaking, where is the wilderness? Geographically speaking, South America? Africa? Where? Say it again. Europe. Okay, and where, and where the world is this? In Europe. Geographically speaking, the papacy controlled Western Europe. God's church wasn't hiding in Western Europe. That's where we're at. And as a result of them being in Europe, God's true church literally, literally ran out of space. They're being hunted. They're being persecuted. They're being butchered. And they literally had no room. They're trapped. But now verse 16. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details. But we know who the earth is in this context. The earth is the North American continent. And yeah, in chapter 13, specifically, United States. So when this continent opened up, God's persecuted church found room to grow. 
They found a place to go and find refuge and find safety. They had room that they did not have in the old world. And now look what happens. When the dragon saw that the earth opened her mouth and that the church slipped out of his hands, the dragon thought, I got them. They're cornered. They're mine. And the earth opened up. They escaped. And now as a result of that, verse 12, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make what? War with the remnant, those that remained of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, let me just say this here in passing to show you we're going. Based on this verse, is Satan angry with every church? He's angry with that church that keeps the commandments of God and has a testimony of Jesus. All the other churches, he's got them. He's not angry with them. He's got them. It is this church that he hates. And therefore, the war that's described here, it is the special war. It is the, the, the final war that began where? In heaven. But follow me. This war hasn't begun yet. What is taking place here, my friends, when this continent was discovered and God's people found refuge here and God's end time movement began here, God is actually giving his church time to recover her strength. It is a parenthesis in history in which persecution ha ha has come to a, well, I'm not going to say come to a complete stop, but it's, it's been slowed down and God is giving his church the time to catch her breath, to take a break, to recover in preparation for the final battle. You see what's going on? In fact, turn with me real quick. And we're coming right now to, to, to literature evangelism. We're coming right now, okay? But go to chapter 6 of Revelation. In chapter 6, under the fifth seal, we find here, Revelation 6, the fifth seal, we find here the souls under the altar, which we know, okay, is symbolically speaking. And these souls under the altar, we know, are all those martyrs who died during the time of the papal supremacy. Those that were put to death for not going along with the Church of Rome. Verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, does thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long, Lord? 
We've been faithful. How long, Lord? Verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest for yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be what? So is there coming a final persecution in which many of God's people are going to seal their testimony with their blood? Yes. And here symbolically, the Lord tells these souls on the altar, rest until those that are to be killed are fulfilled. That's the time that is coming. My friends, this is a two-minute warning. Yeah, I'm using football terminology. Before the end of the game, you have a two-minute warning in which you have a small little timeout where they have their final game plan, their final strategy, their final, okay, catch your breath, all right, let's get back in the field, we got two minutes left. God is giving his church that space of time to recover her strength, to prepare themselves before the final battle begins. Now, I'd like to read one statement here. I'd like to read one statement here that is found in uh, Great Controversy. Great Controversy. Page. I believe it's in the title... Um, the final warning. Here we go. Page 593. Great Congress 593. She writes, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no, no light in them. The people of God are directed to the scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible. And then she says, He is now putting forth his utmost efforts. What kind of efforts? He is putting his utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers. So right now, my friends, Satan is preparing his final plan, his final attack against God and his church. And this two-minute warning, and this time of rest, Satan is putting forth his utmost efforts to attack. What are we doing? 
How are we preparing for that final battle? What is our strategy? How are we preparing ourselves and others in this time of relative peace? My friends, that's where GLOW comes in. That's where literature evangelism comes in. Part of that preparation is giving this message. Part of the preparation is being willing to be used of God, not just to prepare yourselves, but to prepare others. And therefore, my friends, God says, get this truth out before it's time to get back on the field. Now, I'm going to read one statement that we find in the book of evangelism, and then I'm going to connect this with Daniel 11. Okay? Evangelism, page 160. Here she writes. Evangelism, page 160. She writes, Very much more can be accomplished by the living preacher with the circulation of papers and tracts than by the preaching of the word alone without the publications. So what helps the, 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 the preaching of the gospel? Giving out what? Tracts, publications, papers. She goes on. Many minds can be reached in no other way. And now she says this. Here is true missionary work. What kind of work? True missionary work in which labor and means can be invested with the best results. What is going to give best results? It is true missionary work. And what is true missionary work? It is circulating our papers, our tracts, our publications that contain present truth for this time. Now, what does that have to do with, with the latter rain? Let's go to Daniel 11. Daniel 11. Now, we don't have time to break down all Daniel 11. <laughs> There's no way. All right. <laughs> Verse 40. <laughs> Verse 40. At the time of the end. Now, when did the time of the end begin? 1798. Shall the king of the south push at him? Who is the king of the south? Atheism has manifested in the French Revolution. Okay. And the king of the north. Who is the king of the north? The papacy. And the papacy shall push, the king of the north shall push against, shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots. Chariots in the Bible represents military might. With chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. Ships in the Bibles represent uh, 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 the economic power. So the papacy is going to control the military power and the economic power when it's time for her worldwide conquest. And she shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So you find that, that, that the papacy is compared to a, 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 an overflowing river that is taking over country after country. It is overflowing. Verse 41. 
He shall enter also into the glorious land, which is the church, and many shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief children of Ammon. Those are the spiritual relatives that we have in the fallen churches that when they hear the final cry, the loud cry, they're going to take their stand with God's commandment-keeping people. Amen. 42. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries of the land of Egypt, shall not escape, but he shall have power over treasures of gold and silver, over the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans, the Ethiopians shall be the steps. In other words, when, when, the, when the wound is healed and the power of the papacy restored, it's describing here worldwide conquest. So the papacy is going on a rampage, taking over country after country, but... <laughs> Verse 44. But tidings out of where? The east and out of where? Shall what? <laughs> Come on now. Who here wants to trouble the king of the north? Amen. All of us should say amen. The king of the north has troubled God's people. The king of the north ha has sought to change times and laws. The king of the north sought to do all these things. But when the king of the north, when the papacy thinks that it has the entire world, all of a sudden, tidings are going to trouble him. And these tidings, they come from which directions? The east and the what? Chapter 7 of Revelation. Now, we're coming back to, 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 to the glow right now. Literally, we're coming there, okay? But let's go to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. The Bible says, Revelation 7, the Bible says, verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from where? The east, having the what? The seal of the living God. And we know that the seal of God is what, my friends? The Sabbath. So when the Sabbath is more fully proclaimed, is that going to trouble the king of the north? Oh, yes. But not only that, the Sabbath message comes from the east. But what comes from the north? Chapter 18, Revelation. Chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, And after these things, I saw another angel come from what direction? Came down. And if you come down from where you're coming from, the north. Remember now, I'm, in the Bible, God's Direction of the compass is north and east. Because remember, God is a true king of the north. Satan tried to replace him. In, in, in the cross of the Red Sea, a, a, a wind came from where? The east. The wise men who come to see Jesus, they came from which direction? The east. The armies of heaven come from where? The east. And here, the loud cry 
That fourth angel that empowers the first three angels, it comes from where? The north. So when the, when the latter rain was right here, when the latter rain comes and empowers the proclamation of the third angel's message, and it empowers us to proclaim the Sabbath more fully, is that going to trouble the papacy? Mm. But how is this going to happen? Let me treat to you one statement that is found in Volume 7 of the Testimonies, beginning on page 139. She writes, Now remember now, the two-minute warning, this brief momentary time of peace that God gives us, is that we may prepare for the final battle. Then we prepare to stand ready to meet the Lord. Here she writes, The publications sent forth from our printing houses are to prepare a people to meet God. So what's the point of the printing the publications? The same message, and here she's talking about the message of John the Baptist, through the publications for our printing houses is to be given to the world today. Our publishing institutions are to exalt the claims of God's downtrodden law. Standing before the world as reformers, they are to show that the law of God is a foundation of all enduring reform. Constrained by the love of Christ, they are to cooperate with Him in building up the old waste places, raising up the foundations of many generations. They are to stand as repairers of the breach, restorers of paths to dwell in. Through their testimony, the publishing work, through their testimony, the Sabbath of the fourth commandment is to stand as a witness, a constant reminder to attract notice and arouse investigation that shall direct the minds of men to their Creator. Let it never be forgotten that these institutions are to cooperate with the ministry of the delegates of heaven. Now watch this. They, the publishing work, the literature, they are among the agencies represented by the angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to, treat, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So part of the work of proclaiming the first angel's message is to do what? Literature work. Passing out those tracts and passing out those small little glow pamphlets, you are actually proclaiming the first angel's message. Amen. From them, the tracts, from them is to go forth the terrible denunciation, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. So when you pass out those tracts, you proclaim the second angel's message. They, those tracts, 
they are represented by the third angel that follows in a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image. When you pass out those tracks, leave it on doorsteps, on cars, at gas stations, in the stores, you proclaim the first, second, and third angel's message. You see, my friends, not all of us are called to preach behind a pulpit. But all of us are called to do the work of an evangelist. Every single one of us. And if all you can do is drop it off, guess what? You are a part of God's final call to planet Earth. You see, my friends, don't think when you go out, I mean, if you're going out and passing living right there, yeah, in, in our minds, okay, I'm doing this for my local little church. But when you look at the grand scheme of things, you are actually taking part in God's final work to redeem planet Earth. My friends, think big. Angels want to do this work. But now comes the best part. And in a large degree. And what kind of a degree? A large degree through our publishing houses is to be accomplished the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power who lightens the earth with his glory. Oh, you didn't get it. You know, then I get that. Let me read that again. <laughs> In a large degree, through our publishing houses, passing out those tracks, giving out that literature, is to be accomplished the work of that other angel that comes down from heaven with great power and lightens the earth with his glory. Amen. So when you pass out those tracks, <laughs> God is using you to lighten this earth with his glory. Amen. It's a two-minute warning, my friends. It's a two-minute warning. Now, when this war begins and people are called to take a stand I want you to notice what area of ministry Sister White highlights in the Great Controversy. Great Controversy, I believe it's page 592. Is that it? Page 612. Page 612. Great Controversy, 612. The message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented. The seed has been sown. And now it will spring up and bear fruit. Baby, watch this. Let me back up so you can see the context. Here's talking about the latter rain. The paragraph of where she says, Servants of God, with their faces lighted up 
and shining with holy consecration will hasten from place to place to proclaim the message from heaven. And what's part of that proclamation? Service of God going from door to door, dropping off those tracks. Going to the stores, the markets, the places, drop those tracks. Why? Because we got a message to proclaim by thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. And then she says, we just read, the message will be carried not so much by argument as by the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. The argument presented, the seed has been sown, the seed has been sown, and now it will spring and bear fruit. Why? Next sentence. The publications distributed. The publications distributed by the missionary workers have exerted their influence. Yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or yielding obedience. Now, the rays of light penetrate everywhere. The truth is seen in its clearness and the honest children of God sever the bands which have held them. Family connections, church relations are powerless to stop them now. Truth is more precious than all besides. And why? Because the publications have done their work. Why? Because you, you, and you took the time and dropped it off. My friends, this, this, this is a solemn work. It's not merely passing out small little pieces of paper. You are doing work that angels want to do Amen. in this two-minute warning. Now, real briefly, because our time is almost up, I'd like to share with you here uh, from the book Culprit of Ministry. And to show you here what I believe is one of the most important books that we should be getting out. And my friends, pass out those glow tracks. They're easy. You carry, I mean, it's so simple. And honest, my friends, what excuse are we going to offer God for not doing this work? <laughs> now, here she writes, Culprit of Ministry, page 127. And I believe, my friends, that along with all the glow, along with all the literature, we should get this out. She writes, the great controversy should be very widely circulated. It contains the story of the past, the present, and the future. I am more anxious to see a wide circulation for this book than for any others I have written. For in the great controversy, the last message of warning to the world is given more distinctly than any other of my books. Amen. Amen. And one last statement here, and I believe our time is up. The book great controversy, I appreciate above silver or gold, and I greatly desire that it shall come before the people while writing the manuscript of the great controversy, I was often conscious of the presence of the angels of God. And many times, the scenes about which I was writing were presented to me 
a new in visions of the night so that they were fresh and vivid in my mind. These books contain God's direct appeal to the people. Thus, he is speaking to the people in stirring words, urging them to make ready for his coming. The light God has given in these books should not be concealed. My friends, we have work to do. We have work to do. For the price of a pizza. You know how many glow traps you get? <laughs> For the price of a pizza, you could reach literally hundreds with the three angels' messages. So, my friends, my encouragement by the grace of God, let us trouble the king of the north. <laughs> let us take part in lightening this earth with the glory of God by getting these little preachers out to the world. What do you say? Amen. Amen, my friends. This is how we're prayer as we close. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to be a part of this work in these final days. Father, you have given your people a short break to recover our strength for the final conflict that is soon to come. Father, it will be to our eternal loss if we do not take advantage of this time that you now give us. Please, Lord, may we work, may we occupy until you come. Father, we're doing the work that angels want to do. And Lord, we really have no excuse not to do it. Please, Lord, impress in our hearts the urgency of the time, the lateness of the hour. Soon, it's time to get back on the field. And Father, we have not made ourselves ready by helping others be ready. Father, it will be too late. Lord, we want to be used by you. Use us in the front lines of this final battle. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.